It's our second lesson on the, uh, the life of Abra- Abraham that, uh, that we're doing not only in our Sunday morning sermons and worship time together, but, but in our adult Bible classes as well. Inside of your announcement sheet is, uh, is an outline that you can use. As we go through the message this morning, there might be some things you want to uh, write down and think about or study about later this week. Also, some fill-in-the-blanks as we kind of go through this, this study together. And uh, uh, Roger has just read for us Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 10 through 20, which is right after the call, and Abraham has arrived in the land of Canaan. And uh, he's now heading down into Egypt, as, as you've just heard. I want to continue a reading. It is uh, what the, the Hebrew writer letter to the Hebrews, has written about the call of Abraham as we are kind of on the front end of our study of the life of Abraham. And it's up here on the screen, chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Abraham when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I want you to say with me that last sentence. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Let's bow our heads. Father, we are grateful for the life that we find with such abundant grace coursing through it every day. The forgiveness, the mercy how you take care of us through through your providential care, Father, how you bestow on us wisdom and answer our prayers, our supplications and petitions. You are the perfect Father to us. And it is to your wisdom and it is to your face that we turn to be instructed in this hour. And so our prayer, Father, as has been through all of these years of of the people of faith, that you would give us eyes to see, Father, and ears to hear in such a way, Father, that we are just, not just moved, but, but to hear in such a way, Father, that we cannot remain the same. That we, we want to be people of faith, of such profound faith, that it reflects an honor and a glory on your presence, Father. And people are able to see the, the, the precious treasure that you are in heaven. Thank you for the way that you take care of us in this life. And especially, thank you for the way that you take care of us for all of eternity, Father, beginning this day in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. There is a, an old, old story about a... Um, a compassionate lumberjack who was uh, hired to remove all of the trees, a particular piece of acreage, it was next to a rock mountain. And so he got to the acreage and he was beginning to cut down that, that first tree when he looked up 
And he saw that there was a mother bird who was beginning to build a nest up in the top of it. And being a compassionate lumberjack, not wanting to wreck this bird family, he took the flat end of his axe head and with mighty swings struck the trunk of the tree, sending vibrations reverberating all the way up to the top so that it shook the mother bird as she was building that nest. It took a couple of times for him to get her attention, but she finally got to a place where she was so rattled that she flew to the next tree. Lumberjack moved to the next tree and did the exact same thing until the bird moved to the next tree. He moved to the same tree, hit that tree with his axe so many times that it moved her finally off of that acreage and she built her nest on a rock. It's just a story, and it's an old story, but it tells us a lot about how God makes a person of faith. One of the most important facts about the Bible, not just in the Bible, but about the Bible is this. Most of the Bible is written to people who are experiencing anything but a designer life. Most of the Bible is written to people who are experiencing anything but a designer life. There are people that are going through valleys, people that are facing adversity, people that are going through trouble, even people who are facing the end of their own life. And the Bible helps us to understand how to develop a faith that thrives in the world, the kind of world that we live in. I mean, just think about the two texts that were just read for us. Uh, uh, Roger read Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. I just read uh, sort of the beginning verses of of, uh, Hebrews 11. But when that Genesis 12 passage is being read out loud to the people, Moses is telling Israel the story of Abraham while they, Israel, are between the desert and the promised land. They're in that reality gap between the desert and what has been promised to them. The letter to the Hebrews, written to people who are wondering if they have enough in the tank to stay faithful to Christ while living between the world as it is and the world as it will be one day. Think about all of us in this auditorium this morning. We live in the reality gap between life the way it is and the way life will be in the future. And what we like Every person of faith who has gone to the Bible, what we must learn to navigate faithfully is a world that at times seems to be brimming with this capricious cruelty that doesn't really make sense. I mean, the world at times is just inexplicable. The world at times is incomprehensible, so much so that it makes our heads numb. But that's why we need Abraham. That's why we need Abraham. You see, Abraham illustrates how a string of crises can cultivate a great faith. A string of crises can ruin a faith. But Abraham is in the Bible for one reason. One of the reasons that uh, Abraham is in the Bible is to illustrate how a string of crises can cultivate a great faith. And so in the text that Roger read this morning, Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20, we're going to see three things. There is this tremendous realization. And then there is a, 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 an encounter with reality. And then there is a meeting of a rock. So, the first words recorded about Abraham, th- these are the words that we looked at last week. Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 through 32. The first words recorded about Abraham, about his life, tell us through a genealogy that Abraham is a descendant of Seth. And you'll remember Seth is is that third son of Adam and Eve. Cain has killed Abel. There's only the wanderer and the murderer Cain. 
Adam and Eve have another child. His name is Seth. At the end of chapter 4 of the book of Genesis, verse 26, it says that he is of that line. It is the family of Seth, the line of Seth, that begins to call on the name of God. By the time we get to the end of chapter 11, Abraham, and, we, and we, we're meeting Abraham for the first time, and reading about his family line and where he's at, Abraham is in a culture steeped in idols. So beginning in chapter 4 with Seth, who is calling on the, name of the God, uh, on, on the name of the Lord, seven chapters later, this same line, this line of Seth that is calling on the name of God, finds himself in a land that is steeped with idols. The name of his wife, as well as others in his family, are connected to the pagan gods. And what the writer of, of, of Genesis is trying to help us see, is that me? Do we have another mic that's on? Is it? What, uh, what the, the writer of Genesis is trying to explain to us is that humanity is up against the wall again, spiritually speaking. Faith in the one God who created everything. The one that is recognized in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 as the one that created everything with the power of His Word. That, that, that faith in that God who was recognized in those chapters is now at low tide. So what is God going to do? Well, He's going to speak again, just like He did at creation. And so the first words of God to Abraham are recorded for us like this. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Get thee out of thy country. Here is Abraham with his background and his, his, the inner culture of idols. And God is saying, get yourself out. Out. And so Abraham gets on the road, and it's here that we begin to see this initial realization. The question I, I have, why would Abraham leave Ur of the Chaldees initially, and then later on Haran, and follow God to a place, as the Hebrew writer says, he didn't know where he was going. Why would he go to this undisclosed place? It's because of the realization that the idols do not work. Perhaps that's another reason that the barrenness of Sarai is mentioned. Her tragedy of barrenness is that trigger that gets him thinking about what works in life and, and what doesn't. It's perhaps her barrenness that begins to make him think about you know, what is really the center of life anyway. And that's one of the ways, believe it or not, that God can use any kind of a crisis that comes into a human life, that comes into a, a, your personal life. It might be a death, it might be a financial setback, it might be the loss of a marriage or of a job or issue with children or the loss of our health. But whatever it is that comes into our lives in a world like this, it gets us thinking about the foundation of life. What is it that we're really standing on? What is the foundation of life? And that's why the context of Abraham's life is so important to know. That's what we looked at last week. It's so important to understand what's going on when Abraham makes this realization. Again, very quickly, Genesis 1 and 2. World created by God, and it's perfect. Chapter 3, you have the fall of man when they eat of that forbidden fruit, the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel. In chapter 6, the world is so wicked that the inclination of every human heart is evil, from all the time that God is grieved in his heart that he created humans and put it on the good earth. And that's why the, the, the Noahic flood or the flood of Noah comes in and only one family, one righteous family is saved. 
But it's not but just a couple of chapters later that that evil inclination, that is part of what it means to be human and to have the human heart, it becomes so perverse again that human beings are literally trying to build a tower where they can get face to face, eyeball to eyeball, mano a mano with God. Those first 11 chapters teach us something very important. Genesis 1 through 11 reveals that the world has lost its foundation. And Abraham is looking for one. In verse 10 of Hebrews 11, he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now the command that we read in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 comes off that get thee out comes with some pretty amazing promises. There are seven of them. God says, guess what, I'm going to make you a great nation. Out of you, Abraham, is going to be this great nation. Secondly, he says, I'm going to bless you. Number three, he says, you know what, I'm going to make your name great. That name, that renown, was, was something to be treasured. I'm going to make your name great. Number four, you're going to be a blessing. Number five, I'm going to bless those who bless you. God says in, in uh, this promise number six, that I'm going to curse those who curse you. And then the last one is, the nations will be blessed through you. Say that with me. The nations will be blessed through you. Let's say it again. The nations will be blessed through you. Now remember that. And the text culminates in verse 8 with this, this line of Seth that calls on the name of the Lord, finding themselves in the middle of the, the forest of, of idols and of, 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 of pagan, uh, the, you know, this, this pagan uh, uh, pantheon of gods. Now that he is starting to make his way back towards the promised land, obeying God and trusting that word, all of a sudden we read very significantly that Abraham begins, just like Seth, to call on the name of the Lord. Now Abraham, living a life whose foundation is God and, and, and God alone, is about to be put to the test. Now we might be tempted at this point to think that, well, you know, Abraham would be crazy not to go. I mean, think about all of this great stuff that he's been promised. He's it, sort of a designer life, it looks like, has been promised to him. But a designer life is not promised. The very next story involves a thread. Abraham gets to the promised land, and verse 10, there is a famine in the land. The promised land. He gets there, finally. And there's a famine in the land. At the end of verse 10, it says a very serious, very serious famine. Now again, Abraham, who is living a life whose foundation is God and God alone, all of that is about to be put to the test. The call of God to live a life of faith for Abraham is going to take place in the context of Genesis 1 through 11, a fallen world. And here we see that real faith is actually strengthened when it finds itself going through that adversity, those, those straits of life. And that's where we hit the reality. Many of you have, have, have read the, the books of, of Kurt Vonnegut over the years, a very famous author that died just a couple of years ago. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut compiled eight rules for writing stories. Rule number six is, be a sadist. No matter how sweet and innocent your leading characters, make awful things happen to them in order that the reader may see, the reader may see what they are made of. Now, Mr. Vonnegut is, is being facetious, of course, about being a sadist, but he makes an important point. 
People are like tea bags. You don't know what's in them until they're in hot water. Now, actually, you know who said that was Eleanor Roosevelt. I didn't say that. Eleanor Roosevelt said that, and she was talking about women, but you get the point. You know, when, when you're put in hot water, what's on the inside of you is what comes out. The reality of that life of promise is not a life without problems. The life that is living in the middle of the promises that God has made to Abraham is not going to be a life without problems. The reality is that people of faith will face uncertainties in this life. And Abraham finds himself in hot water in the form of two threats. Threat number one is he arrives in the promised land with all of the promises only to find that the land will not support him. If the land can't support him, he's thinking here, he's thinking out loud, he's, he's, he's thinking to himself, he's, he's got to make decisions. He's a patriarch now, he's, he's got responsibilities. If the land can't support his tiny family, then how in the world is it going to be able to support a great nation? And so he goes to Egypt. And, and going to Egypt, not always a positive move in the Bible. Threat number two. As Abraham and his crew get close to Egypt, he realizes that he is in danger because Sarai is beautiful. She is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And Pharaoh will take notice of that and he's going to want to collect her for his harem. And so he concocts a lie to save his own skin. He says, uh, Sarai, do you love me? Yes, I love you. You know I love you too. Yep. How much do you love me? I love you to pieces. Really? Yeah, you know that, Abraham. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to you. Well, when we get there, can you pretend you're not my wife and pretend you're my sister? And she does. Now, Sarai is his half-sister. But she is also and primarily his wife, which is the very fact he wants to hide. But there's more to this story than a warning against deceit. The real issue is, why did Abraham leave the promised land, the land that God led him to, the land that God showed him at the first sign of a threat, famine? The real issue is, why did Abraham take matters into his own hands at the sign of a second threat, Pharaoh, when God told him that a great nation would come from him? You see, this whole faith thing is not all that easy, is it? As an aside... Remember who is listening to Moses tell this story. The people that God called out of one place and led to another place, and once they got there, they fell back into the most profound unbelief and betrayal of God. How did that happen? The answer is fear. One of the things that fear does to the human heart is it, it exposes the idols that reside there. Fear exposes the idols of the human heart. Fear exposes the basket where you're putting most, if not all, of your eggs. The fear of being alone. The fear of being without. The fear of rejection. The fear of, of being not in control. Faith, that is great faith, as we see in the life of Abraham, and we see even in the lives of those around us, is a process of discovery. It means that you've come to the realization that no other human being can meet all of your needs. Only God can do that. 
It means that through faith you have come to the realization that none of the material things that you see in the world around you are ever going to meet your need, that the real treasure is in heaven. It means that you've come to the realization through faith that God is not rejecting you, but that God is coming to find you in the middle of the trees. It means that you've come to the realization that while you might be powerless to control anything or everything in this life, you do know the one who names every star and not a single one of them is lost. Faith is a process of going from one crisis to the mountaintop, to another valley, to the plain, to a crisis, to a mountaintop. It is a process of discovering God. Dallas Willard writes in this great little book entitled Renovation of the Heart. He says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. Or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. You know, the irony in all of this is that Abraham was to be a blessing to all of the what? Nations. Very last one. We said it over and over again, right? The irony in all of this is that Abraham, God was blessing Abraham with, with a great name and, and cursing those that cursed him and blessing those that blessed him and the great nation and all of that. But he was going to make Abraham a blessing to all of the nations. But instead, in faithlessness, he has inflicted upon Egypt some serious diseases and some really bad things. His faithfulness was to bring a blessing. His lack of faith brought only more thorns and thistles to a nation that needed that blessing. And here's the thing about Abraham. The bearer of that promise, all of those promises, but that promise to be a blessing to all of the people, the bearer of that promise became the biggest threat and obstacle to that blessing. And I sometimes wonder if today the people who are to be the bearers of the gospel are not a lot of times the biggest threat and obstacle to the gospel because of our own faithlessness. But here's the thing. Abraham is on a faith quest. He is on a faith quest. He is looking for the city with the foundation whose builder and architect is God. And he will keep moving in this life that is full of uncertainties, as we will see in the coming weeks. There's this really phenomenal quote by William Faulkner. You've, you've read some of his books, um, uh, the, the, the Snopes uh, uh, stories, chronicles, uh, you know, writer from, from Oxford, Mississippi, a very famous American writer. And he once talked about his life this way. He talked about, you know, they're, they're not monuments, but footprints that mark his life. A monument only says, at least I got this far, while a footprint says, this is where I was when I moved again. And I think that that adequately, if not, com not completely, but it adequately describes the life of faith, this faith quest that Abraham is on. His life is not going to be marked by monuments, but by footprints that said, this is as far I as I got when I moved again. 
Jesus once said something very interesting one day as we think about you know Moses or excuse me Abraham building his his house not on sand but on this this rock this this city with a foundation this this rock that is solid and stable for him to stand on uh, Jesus said something very interesting about Abraham one day he said in John chapter 8 he said your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day I, 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 don't, I don't even have a clue really as to how that happened but he says your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day he saw it he saw it and was glad you know that Abraham as, 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 as great of a person and a man of faith and I think one of the most important chapters in the entire Old Testament, chapters 15 and chapter 22 of Genesis, that really teaches what faith is all about and, and, and how you come to the culmination of a life of faith like Abraham did. But Abraham only points to a greater Abraham who came, born in Bethlehem and grew up in Nazareth, the name Jesus. And unlike Abraham who told a lie to save himself, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, told the truth, knowing it would cost his life. And somehow Abraham saw him and rejoiced. And it's that one that makes all the difference. It's that Jesus that comes into our life and blesses us in such a way that we are completely revolutionized in the way that we go through not just the good days but especially the bad days it is that Christ that makes the difference not just for this day but for the rest of the days not of this life but for all of eternity it is not just this Jesus who makes a difference in our relationships today but changes the way that we relate in our relationship with God for all of eternity and it's that one who never, who never departs. It's that one who never betrays you. It's that one who is never disloyal to you. It is that Christ who will never, ever, ever leave you, never enslave you, never, never make you sick. Ne he will never impoverish you spiritually. He is the one that will fill you up. And he is the rock on which we build our nest. Ben's going to lead us in a song right now. And if there are ways that we can minister to you in our church family through prayer or through sharing the gospel with you in such a way that you know what you must do in faith to come to God and, and to find that salvation is in Christ, we want you to come forward and talk to our shepherds who are down here at the front as we stand and praise God together. When peace like a river attends my way.